The story is told about a man and woman who pulled in at the drive-up at a local KFC restaurant. They ordered a bucket of chicken. When they got to their destination, they discovered that they had more than just chicken in that bucket. Because in that bucket, besides the chicken, there was a bank deposit bag full of money. It was that restaurant's daily deposit for that day. The man and woman immediately returned to the restaurant and presented to the store manager the bank bag. The store manager was, of course, very elated that uh, they had returned the money. They had no idea where that money had went off to. He said, one of my buddies is a reporter for the local newspaper. Let me call him because I want your picture on the front page. I want everyone to know about how honest you are. The man said, oh no, don't do that. You see, I'm a married man and that woman there is not my wife. <laughs> he was honest regarding money. But he was not a man of integrity. And in so many ways, that is a picture of our country today. We have fallen into moral decay. We lack moral integrity that would make our nation strong. I think it started in some respect all the way back in the, in the 1960s with the, uh, the sexual revolution. And that's led up to the 21st century where we have government persecution and prosecution of Christians who do not accept things like uh, same-sex marriage. What is our nation coming to? And what will it take to make America strong again? I think in many ways a strong nation comes from a strong church. We have to be the starting point for a strong nation. A, a strong church, a strong church, the key to that is the families. We've got to have strong families to make a strong church. And to have strong families, you've got to have strong people. That's you. That's me. Individually, we've got to make a stand for godly values. That means that you and I are the key to America's strength or lack of strength. The question is, how do we do that? I think the key was in that passage that Billy shared with us from Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Nehemiah, Nehemiah has rebuilt the walls. Now he works to rebuild the people. Because walls are not enough to secure the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem needed the right kind of people in it and the right kind of people over it. So what does he do? He appoints two faithful men that fear God to lead the people. That's what we need today. We need faithful, God-fearing people. Do you want, do you want your family to be strong? 
Yes, you do, don't you? I do, you do. Uh, do you want your church to be strong? Yes, we do. Do you want your nation to be strong? Then first off, you must be what? Faithful. Are you faithful? Am I faithful? That is what is going to be required. We have to be faithful. We have to be trustworthy. We have to be men and women of integrity. In ancient China, the people, they desired security from the barbaric hordes from the north that would invade their country. So they built the Great Wall of China. They were sure the wall was so tall that nobody would be able to climb over it. It was so thick that nobody would be able to break through it. So they built the wall, and then they set back in security. In the first 100 years of the wall, the nation of China was invaded three times. On none of those three invasions did the enemy climb over the wall. On none of the three invasions did the enemy break through the wall. On all three of those occasions, the enemy bribed the gatekeepers and marched right through the gates. You see, no matter how strong a, a nation's physical defenses are, if that nation does not have people of integrity, then those defenses are useless. Faithfulness is fundamental. Dan Arley was given a grant to do a study, a study to determine why people will lie, cheat, and steal. He went to various college campuses. He actually interviewed 30,000 students. Here's what he would do. He would arrive at the college campus and he would advertise that if people would assemble at a certain place, that he would distribute this math puzzles. And he would pay a dollar for every math problem people could solve. There was 25 math problems on the test. He would give them five minutes to complete the test. After five minutes, he would give them the correct answers. Each student would have to grade their own paper. And then he instructed each student to walk to the back of the room, put their paper in the paper shredder, and then come back to the front and he would pay them. What the students didn't realize was that paper shredder was fake. The paper shredder made the sound, but actually did not shred the test. That way, they could compare what actually was correct on the test to what the student said was correct on the test. Here's what Dan Arley found out. After going through 30,000 students, here is what he found out. He found only 12 big cheaters. Now, what was a big cheater? A big cheater would be someone who solved very few problems, but reported solving a lot of problems. Okay, those were big cheaters. He only found 12 big cheaters. But he found 18,000 of the 30,000 students were small cheaters. 
The big cheater stole just a few hundred dollars from the grant money. But the small cheaters, they stole over $36,000. Just one or two dollars at a time. Here was his conclusion. Most dishonesty happens among ordinary people who think of themselves as basically honest. But when added together, all this little dishonesty, it has a huge impact. You see, it's not life's big cheaters who cause the most problems in our moral decay. It's you and me not living up to the standard that God has given to us. It's people like you and me who find ways to rationalize our own bad behavior. It's you and me, the little cheaters, who in the long run causes the most damage. So if you want our nation to be strong, if you want our church to be strong, if you want your family to be strong, then we must be men and women of integrity. Not only in the big things, but in the small things as well. Luke 16, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Rear Admiral William McRaven, a 36-year Navy SEAL veteran, he was standing before a college graduating class giving a speech. And he reflected back to his SEAL training. When he was a young person going through that SEAL training, he said, every morning our instructors would enter our barracks. And the first thing they would do would be to inspect our beds. They would inspect our beds to make sure that our beds complied with the standard. He said... At that moment, I always thought that was kind of a stupid thing. You know, here we are, men trying to train to be warriors, to be Navy SEALs, and we are forced to go through a bed inspection. But he said, looking back at it, that was one of the keys to our training. The wisdom has been proven to me, he said, many times over, because if you make your bed every morning you will accomplish the first task of the day. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed also reinforces the fact that little things in life really do matter. If you can't do the little things, then you'll never do the big things right. And if by chance you end up having a miserable day, and nothing goes right, at least you'll come back home to a bed that's been made. Made by you. And that gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be a better day. In closing, Admiral McRaven said, If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Faithfulness, even in the little things. What did the master say to the five and two talent men? Matthew chapter 25. 
He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you want a strong country? Do you want a strong church? Do you want a strong family? Then first of all, we've got to be faithful even in the little things. And second, we must learn to properly respect and fear God. Reverence and respect the Lord. He requires it. To reverence and respect the Lord, that's to know Him and to love Him above everything else. Go back to verse 2 of Nehemiah chapter 7. Notice that Nehemiah selected not only a faithful man, but one that was more God-fearing man than many. That's what we need. We must be faithful in the little things, that's true, but we must be faithful for the right reasons. We must be faithful out of love and respect for God himself. Now, some might ask in the world, why? Let me give you the why. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Proverbs 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Deuteronomy 8. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. Acts 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was by being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That's the why. Now, I'm afraid we treat God kind of like the geek squad at Best Buy. Are you familiar with the geek squad? If you have a broken computer, if your uh, tablet's not working, if your phone is on the fritz, you can take your device down to Best Buy, go walk over to the Geek Squad desk. You can give them your broken device, and they'll fix it for you. And they'll return it to you all fixed. And then they're not going to bother you anymore. That's how we want to treat God, is it not? We have a lot of people who want to treat God that same way. When they have a problem, they call on God, they expect Him to fix the problem, and then just leave me alone. But sadly, that's no relationship with God. Or to put it in the words of our text, there's no real, real fear of God. We're not talking here about a, a fear where we're scared or we're hiding from God. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a love-respect relationship that draws us near to God. At one time, I used to think that living in the fear of the Lord was like uh, driving down the street while watching a policeman in your rearview mirror. But I got a better picture a much better picture. 
The fear of the Lord is like a, a teenage driver who suddenly spots her father's car in her rearview mirror. Seeing him there puts her on notice to be on her best behavior. But it's more than just that. It tells her that her father cares enough to go the extra mile for her. It tells her that she's safe. It tells her that her father isn't trying to trap her or to trick her, but that he loves her. He's there trying to help her to develop good habits, not just to be careful on this trip, but to obey the law and stay safe until she gets home. She's driving on her own, yes, but not completely on her own. So it is true the same way for the people of God. The fear of the Lord means that we live our life with our Heavenly Father always in our rearview mirror. We glance up and we see His brilliant holiness, but we also see His loving care and His compassion. Our response to all of that, our response, the fear of the Lord, is a mixture of reverence, trust, and love. Isn't that beautiful? That kind of relationship that we can enjoy with a holy God, that kind of reverence, trust, and love will motivate all of us to be faithful. Yes, faithful even in the little things. It will encourage all of us to live our lives with integrity, no matter what the rest of the world says or does. I like this quote. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Do you want a strong country? Do you want a strong church? Do you want a strong family? Then first of all, be faithful even in the little things. Second, to fear and respect God. And finally, to make sure that you are in the family and that you're reflecting His love. Ensure that you truly belong to the people of God. Make certain that you are a true citizen of the kingdom of God. When Nehemiah, when he was seeking to populate the now completed city of Jerusalem, what did he do? Look at chapter 7. He consulted the official genealogical records. From verse 5 to the end of the chapter, there's a list of family names. We're not going to read it. Aren't you glad? A lot of hard names right there. But it's a listing of the people who had come back to Jerusalem approximately a hundred years before under Zerubbabel. The point here in chapter 7 is that Nehemiah wants to make sure that only Jewish families inhabit the city. He's trying to ensure that only God's people become its citizen. Why? Because that's very important for the strength and security of the city. You don't need your enemy living in your city. He doesn't want any imposters to become permanent residents that could undermine the city's defenses from within. Nehemiah ensures that they're all God's people, and that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we are part of God's kingdom. 
Each of us need to make sure that we're truly a part of God's family and that we're really living for Him. So the question is, are you a Christian? The second question is, are you living like a Christian? Romans chapter 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. The rest of that chapter, going through verse 18, Paul talks about those qualities that you have in the person who's really living for Jesus. Then he says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves. Why? To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. In other words, you may dress like a Christian. You may talk like a Christian. You may look like a Christian on the outside. You may show up for one hour on Sunday morning. However, that does not mean that you are a Christian. Danny Foley, a college sophomore at Virginia, he really wanted to be part of his school's basketball team. So he devised a plan. He noticed that all of the assistant coaches wore the same sports jacket. He noticed that all the assistant coaches had the very same orange tie. So he, he goes out and he buys that sports jacket and he, he buys an orange tie. He goes to the conference championship game on March the 16th, 2014, the game between Virginia and Duke. And he waits for the opportune moment. At the opportune moment when people are not watching, during the timeout, he rushes down, joins the team out there on the court on their huddle, standing with the team and the, and the team's coaches. He even takes it a further step. When Virginia defeated Duke on that night, what did he do? He got in line to have the handshakes with the other team. He even got to shake the hand of Coach K, the coach for Duke. And there's a picture he has of him out there in the court with confetti all over the floor, posing with his so-called teammates. Now, that's a harmless prank that... Uh, that he happened to do, but it's not harmless when we do it in the church. It actually hurts so deeply. When people, when people try to fake their way onto God's team, it can be very harmful, not only to the person's soul, because they're not, they're not really living for God and they're not being faithful, but also to the reputation of the church itself. So Paul, in that verse that we read, he said, examine yourself, test yourselves, make sure, make sure that you haven't just bought the suit and the tie, but you're really living for Him. The word believe means to trust, to depend upon. Do you totally trust God for His salvation? Are you dependent on Him to save you, or are you just trying to get by on your own good deeds? 
Do you trust Him? Are you willing to completely obey Him? Are you willing to really live your life for Him? Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Ask yourself the question, Has my life demonstrated a real change since I trusted and obeyed Christ as my Savior? For true faith, True faith always expresses itself in obedience. Jesus said, John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you want a strong country? Do you want a strong church? Do you want a strong family? Then first of all, be faithful, even in the little things. Second, fear and respect God. Third, make sure that you're truly in God and living for God. The story is told about the ancient king of Sparta who was entertaining a, a visiting ruler. And the king of Sparta was bragging about his walls, the walls of Sparta. The visiting king said, well, coming into your city, I didn't see any walls. What do you mean walls? Show me your walls. I've never seen your walls. At that moment, the king of Sparta he called his palace guards. He pointed to each man. He said, see those men? There is my wall. They are my wall. My troops are my wall of Sparta. My dear friends, the strength of a nation, the strength of a church, the strength of the family is its people. It's you and me. So as we depend on Christ, as we put our trust in Him, may it be said, there they are. Those are the walls of Christ. Those are His believers. Are you a Christian? God has a simple plan to save you. Don't listen to me. Listen to Jesus. He said for you to believe in Him. John 8, 24. He urged you to repent, Luke 13, 3, to confess His name, Matthew 10, 32, and to be baptized, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Most of us have done that, that are assembled here today. But are we really living for Him? Has your life demonstrated a change since you became a Christian? Are you a reflection of Jesus? Can people see Jesus living in you? If not, you can ask Him to forgive you. He will forgive. 1 John 1, 9. The church here stands ready to pray with you and for you. We'll have two elders down here in the front to receive you. Please respond as we stand and sing for your encouragement. Kneel at the cross, Christ will meet you there. He intercedes for 